You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. God, where we are looking at the book of Jonah, and we are seeing how over and over and over again, Jonah misses the opportunity that Jonah actually offends God by being disobedient, and yet what we are going to see tonight is that God also offends Jonah, that there's something so captivating but almost um, repulsive about who God is from Jonah's perspective, that he just can't handle it, and he actually finds himself offended by God. Week one, we talked about how God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. Nobody needs to tell you what Nineveh's like. It was the worst of all places. We looked at the Old Testament book of Nahum, where in it, it says over and over again, the ugly, horrific things that the people of Nineveh did. It said that their, their bodies, they were constantly killing people. They were sacrificing their children, that their cruelty was endless. This was the last place anybody wanted to go. In fact, It was most certainly a place that most people would have said, man, it would be better if those people weren't here. Well, week one, we talked about how God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he said, no thanks, God. Absolutely not. And so he runs in the opposite direction. He he boards this ship, and he travels far away, and all of a sudden, the ocean gets really crazy, and, and the sailors on the boat are like, what's going on? And Jonah says, I, th- I think it's, it's my fault that... that I'm the reason we're having this trouble. And so Jonah actually gets thrown off the boat. He's in the water, and all of a sudden, he gets swallowed by a giant whale. I mean, this is a crazy story. I told you, each week gets crazier and crazier. He gets swallowed by this giant whale, and when he's in the belly of the whale, he says this prayer of desperation, and he cries out at the very end, and he lifts his gaze. Andrew talked about this. He lifts his gaze to God, and he remembers that maybe, just maybe, God might not be done with his life yet. Well, last week we looked at how Jonah went into Nineveh, and he said, okay, God, I'll be obedient. He goes into Nineveh, and he preaches, and God actually turns hearts. He doesn't just change behavior, but he turns the heart of the Ninevites towards himself, that the Ninevites realize that God knows them and is not okay with their sin, and because of that, he wants to love them and pursue them and change their hearts that would change their lives, and all of a sudden, all of Nineveh, in a moment, surrenders their whole lives to God, and everybody is celebrating And last week, last week, there were some people in this room who surrendered their lives to Jesus for the very first time. And it was so awesome. Yes, it was so good. It was so good. And everybody was celebrating in this room, just like everybody in Nineveh was celebrating, except one person. All of Nineveh is partying, but there's one person who is not celebrating, and his name is Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, the story continues. 
and takes a dramatic turn, a really unexpected turn. I want to begin with this question. Have you ever feared something was going to happen and then it actually happened? Have you ever had that moment before where, where you feared something was going to happen and it actually happened? I mean, maybe, maybe you feared that somebody was going to scare you. And for some reason, you're like, I know my friend is hiding around that corner. I know he's going to jump out on me. But maybe it's just in my mind. And then homie jumps out at you and freaks out. And you're like, I knew you were going to do that, right? Have you had that moment before? I, for Sarah, she is always terrified. She's absolutely terrified. That whenever I'm gone, I was in Thailand for two weeks. The only thing that she was concerned about is that there would be an earthquake while I was in Thailand. I mean, she is absolutely afraid of earthquakes. She hates it. She was so scared. She said, Eric, what do I do? I was like, honey, unless, like, what's that movie that The Rock was in? I love that movie. What was that? What? San Andreas. I was like, unless it's crazy like that, you're not even going to notice. You're going to sleep right through it. But guess what? Guess what? While I was in Thailand, there were two earthquakes. There was two earthquakes, and Sarah woke up for both of them, and she was terrified out of her mind. She called me, she's like, you said this wouldn't happen, but it happened. She's afraid the whole house is going to fall down. I wanted to ask you, and I want to hear a few responses. I want to hear what is your most, like, irrational fear? I mean, well, what's that fear that you're just, you're absolutely convinced this is going to happen in your lifetime? And you know it's crazy, but you just think it is. I'm going to start, my, my, my biggest irrational fear, and I know it doesn't make sense, is that I'm going to get kidnapped. I'm just absolutely convinced. And, and all my friends at work, they're like, Eric, hold on, hold on. Shh, that's hurtful. Shh, this is what they say. At work, they're like, Eric. You are too heavy. You can't. Nobody's going to kidnap you. That can't happen. And I'm like, I'm just scared. Now, I want to hear, what are some irrational fears? You know, Larissa, what's your irrational fear? That you're going to be on a plane. Anyone else afraid of the plane crash? I'll, I'll one-up you. I'm afraid the plane is going to crash. In the water, I'm the only survivor. I get eaten by a shark. Yeah. All right. I want to hear another irrational fear. What's another irrational fear? Hold on. Shh. Anna. That she's going to get eaten by daddy long legs. That's irrational. That's crazy. All right, Abby, tell me yours. Wait, hold on, you guys. Hold on. <laughs> hold on, hold on, you guys. Totally made sense. Totally made sense. Anna, mine made a lot of sense. What did you just say, Abby? You're afraid of what? Okay, you got to explain a little bit. Why are you afraid of candles? Wait, are you describing like a terrorist or a candle? Like, what do you? All right, we're done with you, Abby. Let's go over here. Let's go over here. We're going to do one more. Jonathan. Actually, I want Jonathan and Katie. Jonathan, I'll pick you still. What, what are you like? What are you irrationally afraid of? A burger full of... Burger King? Full of lettuce. Like the restaurant is full of lettuce? Feet in lettuce. You are one weird dude, and I love you, and I love you. All right, hold on, guys. Shh. We've saved the best for last. Katie, what are you irrationally afraid of? Getting stranded? No food. How often do you go to the desert? Because that's like a choice. How often do you do that? Once a month you're in the desert? 
honestly, you'll probably get stranded one of these days. You probably will. You probably will. Here's the thing. For Jonah, for Jonah, his worst fear, his worst fear, the thing that he is, that he deeply desires would not happen, actually happens. And I believe as, as we read this story, maybe you're going to go, Jonah, you're crazy. But my hope is at the end of this, that you and I would actually go, you know what? I've felt that same way as Jonah feels. That I'm not that different from Jonah. Find me in Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The party is going on. God has forgiven the Ninevites. Everyone's celebrating and going crazy. And then it says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. I mean, this seemed very wrong. And, and he became angry. Jonah has watched the Ninevites experience this mass conversion, this, this radical change of heart. But for Jonah, he's pissed. For Jonah, he is livid. He is angry. This doesn't make sense to him. And this draws back to the reality that for Jonah, the Ninevites, for Jonah, the Ninevites were a horrific disgusting, violent, atrocious, the world would be better without them kind of people. Can I ask you a question? Do not answer. Just think in your mind. Is there somebody that when I use those words to describe Nineveh, you feel that same way about? That maybe it's somebody who's hurt you, maybe a rumor that's been spread about you. That you're, you're feeling that sense of anger and the idea that God could change their heart and love them actually makes you angry. The story continues. He prayed to the Lord, this is what I said, Lord, when I was still at home. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So here we find out the real root reason why Jonah did not go to Nineveh when God called him to go to Nineveh, but why he went the opposite direction was because of this. He says, I knew, like I knew, I know you, God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You and I read that list and we go, oh, thank you. I'm so glad that's what God is like. I'm so glad he's compassionate and loving. I'm so glad that, that he relents, that I'm so glad that he pursues people. I'm just not okay with him loving them. Or I'm just not okay with him pursuing that person. And maybe you've thought in your mind this question, God loves them? Could, could God actually love them? Verse 3, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, Jonah is on, like, the emo roller coaster right now. You know what I mean? I mean, he is, the emotions are high for him. I mean, he is looking at this situation saying, God, I wish I wasn't here anymore. Because what you have done for these people, I cannot fathom. It's why our first big idea tonight is this. God's relentless grace is for you, 
God's relentless, passionate, all-pursuing grace is for you, but it's also for your enemies. That God is wildly passionate, crazy in love with, constantly pursuing, always forgiving you, but he also desires the exact same thing for your enemies. For the people that you wish weren't around. There's two kinds of people in, in this room. Person number one, person number one believes this. Person number one believes that God loves everybody else. I mean, they have no problem. Maybe some of you have thought, you, you know, I know how, passionate, how passionately God loves everyone else, but there is no way that I can believe that he actually loves Some of you walked into this room and every time we get up here and speak from the Bible and you hear a message of love, you, you don't have a problem believing that it's for somebody else. You just can't fathom that it's actually for you. The second person in this room is totally cool believing that God loves them. And you just have this confidence, like, I just know that God loves me. I know I'm one of his favorites. You wake up in the morning, you're like, what's up, God? I know you love me. You know what I mean? And you're just like, you know it. You know that God is crazy about you. There's no way that you could believe that he could love that person that cut you off, that girl that gave you that glare, that teacher that seems to be after you, that ex who, that ex boyfriend or girlfriend who is texting or tweeting or doing, I mean, you're, there's just no way that you could believe that God could ever love them. I want to talk to both groups. The first group I want to talk to is if, if you're in that first group, if, if you're person number one and you're like, I know God loves everybody else, but I just don't believe that he loves me, then tonight we got to start with you. Because you, you think that God loves everyone else because you think they're better than you. you. You think they're more perfect than you. You think they have more of it together. And so you look at your own life and you self-deprecate and you go, there's no way that God could ever love me. And there's some of you who walked into this room tonight and you're feeling so hopeless and empty and drained. And you're going, there's no way that God even cares about me. I mean, God knows exactly what has been going on in my life. He knows my struggles. There's no way he could ever love me. And if that's you tonight, if that's you tonight, then I want to read you some scriptures. The first one I want to read you, we're going to kind of fire through these, and I want you to write these down, especially if you're somebody who struggles to believe that God actually loves you. You need these verses, and you need to write them, and you need to tape them up around your room. You need to put them on your phone. You need to put them in your binders. You need to look at them all the time because you need to be reminded that God is passionate about you. I want you to listen to the words that God uses to describe how he feels about you. Listen to the emotion in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. God is a lavishing God who goes over and above to love us. God never loves us at the bare minimum. He loves us in an abundant way. It says and this is what we are, or that he, has loved, that he has lavished on us such great love, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, that you, if you are in this room, and if you're struggling to believe that God loves you, you need to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are one of his kids, who he is crazy in love with. And 
everything in your circumstances around you and maybe even all of your feelings and the lies that are in your mind tell you, God doesn't care a rip about me. Scripture says otherwise. Check out Romans 8, verse 31. It says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, God looked at you and said, I'm willing to give up my son because I'm that crazy in love with you. There was this YouTube video a while ago with this little girl who, she must have been like four or five, and she would stand in front of the mirror. Tell me if any of you ever saw this. She would like stand up on her sink, and she would stare in the mirror, and she would go, I've got great hair, I've got great eyes, I've got great arms, I'm the best. I'm, and she would just like shout out all these things, and it was so adorable to watch. And when I saw that for the first time, I felt like, man, that is what God is screaming over you. I mean, you are one of his kids who he created, and he looks at you, and he goes, you are so beautiful. You are so brilliant. You are so perfectly made, because I made you, and I'm absolutely wild about you. So much so that I am for you. I am not against you. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Some of you need this right now. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? What he's saying, what Paul's saying is, what has the power to separate us from God? Is it the depression we're struggling with? Is it the addiction that we're dealing with? Is it the situation that's happening at home? Is it the rumors that are spreading? Do any of these things have the power to separate us from God? Because we need to know. I mean, we need to know what can actually separate us from the love of God. And then this is what Paul says so brilliantly. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that you could ever experience. There is nothing that you could ever go through. There is no struggle that you could carry. There is no mental health issue that you could deal with. There is nothing in all creation that could ever separate you, that could ever divide you and God, that he is so passionately in love with you that he gave up his son for you. Because you matter. Because you're his kid. Because he's crazy about God doesn't stop there. I mean, God is one of those beings who just doesn't hold back. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't guard himself. He doesn't protect himself. I mean, he puts it all on the line. In fact, in the next one, Zephaniah 3.17, some of you need to memorize this. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. So God is described as a warrior who's strong and powerful and capable and can defeat whatever struggles and brokenness we're dealing with, that he is an all-powerful, mighty God. But at the same time, not only is he a mighty warrior, but in the same verse, he's sensitive and he's emotional and he's risky with his love. God will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. But some of us have become so deaf 
to the love song of God over us. That what we hear is absolute silence. And what heaven hears is a God singing at the top of his lungs about his children. I mean, do you know that? That right now as we sit in this room, God knows your name and he is singing a song about you. He's like, campy is the bomb. Can't, that's campy right there, by the way. I just met campy a few weeks ago. There you go, campy. And he's writing songs about you. He's crazy in love with you. Maybe you felt that way about someone before where you, you just couldn't help but like write a poem. And you're like, I don't write poems, but I'm so crazy about this person. I can't help it. That's how God feels about you. Two more. Psalm 8, 3 to 5. He says, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, this is the psalmist, the poet, he said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? This poet is looking out at all creation and he's going, it just doesn't make sense that God would be mindful of humans. This means that not only is God singing songs about you, but he can't stop thinking about you. You ever had somebody in your life where you just can't stop thinking about them? You're doodling their name. You're making up little songs in your head. You're trying to focus, but you can't stop thinking about them. Did you know that the God of the universe, your creator, can't stop thinking about you? And lastly... I've given this challenge to some of you before. If you're struggling right now, if you're person number one, you believe that God loves everyone else, there's no way he could love you, I want you to read Psalm 139 every single day for a month. I want you to read Psalm 139 every single day for a month. This is a few verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You, God, are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He's saying, there's just nowhere I can go to get away from you. There's nowhere I could go that you wouldn't chase me there. Verse 10. Even your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Verse 11, some of you are in darkness right now. And I hope these words lead you to light. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. It doesn't matter how dark your situation and how painful things are right now and how many secrets you're holding on to and the things that you just, you're just feeling all consumed by. God knows it all. And he hasn't abandoned you or left you by yourself. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I think I've told you guys this before, but um, when I was in the eighth grade, I was in a sewing class, okay? Um, I know, right? Now, I was in a sewing class because it was all girls. It was all girls in a sewing class, and I was like, these are good odds. So I signed up for the sewing class. And the project at the end of the school year was to knit together a pillow. And I was like, how hard is that going to be, right? I spent the whole semester knitting together the world's nastiest pillow. I mean, it was 
disgusting, right? I mean, it just looked, it looked deformed and jacked up, and you could see all the threads, and it was not impressing any. I mean, it was ugly. But I learned one thing through that semester, that knitting or sewing or doing anything like that is an incredibly detailed, focused, intentional, meticulous task that demands a lot of skill and a lot of attention. And the scriptures say that every single one of you was knit together very intentionally by your creator. And so if you're person number one and you're going, man, I'm fine with God loving other people. I just don't believe any way that he loves me. My hope is the word of God becomes a brand new way of seeing who God is and that he is crazy about you. But maybe you're in group number two. Maybe you're in group number two and you're like, man, I'm cool with believing that God loves me, but the idea that God would love my enemies, I just absolutely cannot go there. Well, the story continues for Jonah. Verse five, Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and he sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. His head to ease his discomfort, um, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head. And you're going, what is going on here? There's a point. Here we go. There was an east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And what God is trying to say is he's trying to paint a picture for Jonah. He's going, Jonah, you're so angry about this plant. You're so angry about what I'm doing. You didn't create any of this. You're angry that I'm compassionate towards Nineveh. You didn't create any of them. You don't know the way that this has broken my heart and that I long for these people to be back with me. You see, only God, only Jesus can turn your heart of hatred into a heart of compassion. And some of you are in that group too and you're going, I'm, God loves me, but I just can't fathom that he could ever be gracious or compassionate or kind to of that person that has wronged me, that has hurt me. Well, here's what God wants to do with your heart. He wants to change your heart from a heart of hatred to a heart of compassion. And, and please understand this. God's de desire is not that you would be more tolerant of your enemies, but that you would be more tender-hearted towards your enemies. That person that you just so you're so angry that they're still here, that you've been wounded by them. God says, I created them, and just like I so passionately love you, I so passionately love them. And my desire is not that you would become more tolerant, but that you would become more tender-hearted towards them. My mother-in-law. Um, well, Sarah and, and my mother-in-law and her dad, Pat, and her older sister, Kristen, were driving to a birthday party when my wife was one and a half years old and her older sister was three, and they were driving to a birthday party, and her dad, Pat, was driving the car, and 
her mom was sitting in the passenger seat. And as they were driving to this party, they went through a green light and all of a sudden, a drunk driver hit them. And immediately this drunk driver, who was four times the legal limit, killed Sarah's dad and Sarah's older sister. Sarah's mom and Sarah were rushed to the hospital and, and they survived, but then they came into Sally, my mother-in-law, they came into her room and told her the news that her husband and her oldest daughter were dead. She went into this like depression and it was right around Thanksgiving time and she tells a story of being at church and, and the pastor said, hey, turn to somebody next to you and tell them what you're grateful for. She turned to the person next to her and said, I'm not grateful for anything. And she just struggled and she was full of hatred. This guy was so blitzed that after the accident, after killing these two innocent people, he got out of the car with no bruises, no scrapes, didn't even know what he had just done. Well, a little while later, his trial came, and he was convicted. And at the end of the trial, there's sometimes a moment for the victim's families to share. And Sally got up, my mother-in-law, Sally, got up in front of a whole courtroom of people. And the judge said, what would you like to share? And she stood up in front of all of them, and she said, you took the thing that was, you took, you took the people that were most precious to me. And with tears in her eyes, she said, but I forgive you. I forgive you. And she said, the only reason I can say that is because Jesus has forgiven me. This isn't me just trying to be nice. It's me recognizing that God has forgiven me, and so I can't help but forgive you. You see, that's an example of somebody whose heart has not become tolerant of their enemies, but somebody whose heart, because Jesus changes our hearts, has become compassionate and tender-hearted. So God asked the question, is it right for you to be angry? Well, the story continues. Verse 11, and should I have not concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. <laughs> what? God's an animal rights activist. I guess that's what it's saying. I don't know. God cares about the animals. All dogs go to heaven. Who knows? You know what I mean? It's in there. God looks at these people and he goes, he goes, Jonah, you don't get it. There were all these people who were living in sin. And that's the reason they're evil. That's the reason they're broken. That's the reason they do horrific things. It's because sin has stolen their hearts. And I want to win their hearts back. And I get it. You're going, so you're, Eric, you're asking us to forgive. You're asking us to be willing to love our enemies. Here's the thing. God will never ask you to do something for someone else that he has not already done for you. God will never ask you to do something for someone else that he has not already done for you. God is asking you to love and forgive those that you hate because he has loved and forgiven those who hated him. And so students, I want to challenge you with this prayer. I want you to pray this. 
God, would your offensive and lavishing love change the way I see myself and the way I see my enemy? God, would your lavishing, unending love change the way I see myself and change the way I see my enemy? Well, the story of Jonah actually doesn't end there because we're going to go one more week. Or we're going to say, okay, as we've seen, man, God is going to call you to go reach people. God is going to call you to broken, hurting people. And God desires that you would tell your friends about Jesus. That you would tell them about the ways that God has actually changed your heart. And maybe even as I say that, you're going, no, there's no way. I don't even know how to do that. That's so uncomfortable. That feels like it could be so awkward. I totally understand that. But next week, next week, next week, we want to talk about what it looks like to actually go out and share the message of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, it's easier than you think. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your love is offensive. Your love doesn't make sense. Your love is unfathomable, God. And yet I'm so grateful that your love towards me was not limited. I thank you, God, that none of us are deciding who gets to spend eternity with you because we wouldn't pick each other probably and and somebody wouldn't pick me. And so thank you, Lord, that, that you, our creator, have picked all of us and said, if you believe in my son, that you can be forgiven and you can spend eternity with me. God, if we're struggling to believe that you love us, I pray that the scriptures we read and the conversation we're about to have would solidify that. And God, if we're struggling to believe that you actually love those who have hurt us, I pray that you would challenge and convict us and remind us that you are calling us to love. In Jesus' name we pray.